connected to something bigger. Hello, and welcome to Listen Well, a Lovewell podcast. The Lovewell Institute for the Creative Arts is an arts education not-for-profit where students from around the world have been conceiving, writing, and performing original full-length musicals since 1989. It's July, Lovewell community, so that might mean you're wondering what the heck we're doing with a new episode of Listen Well. Well, We've had a special episode on the shelf that we've been waiting for all of the right stars to align before we released it, and that day has finally arrived. Tonight, we're back with another episode in our Lovewell Spotlight series, where we sit down to bring you long-form interviews with legends in the Lovewell community. The interviews focus on the artists past, present, and future, exploring the role the Lovewell method has played in their development as an artist, but also how their own artistry has helped develop the Lovewell method over the years. All the way back on March 1st, 2019, we sat down with Lovewell light Michael Fink to talk about his past, present, and future as an artist. Because we recorded the episode in March, a few moments might seem a little dated now, especially an early conversation about the new Jonas Brothers song, but the content is timeless and ready for you to listen to. The big reason we've been waiting to release this episode is so we could coordinate our release with the release of a new Kickstarter project to fund the recording of Michael's debut album of original musical theater compositions. So please, please, please be sure to check our show notes for a link to how you can support Michael's debut album on Kickstarter. Now, please make sure your seatbelts are fastened because otherwise this conversation will knock you right on the floor. Let's head on over to Level HQ and hop in our time machine for our interview with Michael Fink. All right, dude, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Um, you know, there's a big elephant in the room, so I want to get this out of the way first. It's the most important question. Oh no! Of this entire podcast, have you heard the new Jonas Brothers song? I haven't heard it yet, but I heard like a, a 15 second clip that someone tweeted and I got I got very excited to actually sit down and listen to it. <laughs> it is so good. <laughs> I, I listened to it like five times this morning. It's, it's the return we've all been waiting for. <laughs> yeah, and it's the return that we need, um, mm-hmm. really, uh, when you think about it. Um, although it's sort of like Nick Jonas and his brothers now, it looks like, at least from publicity so far (laughs) that's what it looks like but it's fine and that's what it's always been uh deep down how's it going uh it's good i'm here in washington heights uh it is up (laughs) lights up on washington heights it's very (laughs) snowy outside (laughs) Ooh, Uh, that's exciting not snowing but it clearly snowed last night as everything is white but um yeah it's cool well, that, that's, uh, you know, a wonderful way to set up this whole episode. For the very first time in Listen Well history, we are recording the podcast at the same time from two different locations, which is exciting. The future is now. Yes. Uh, to quote uh, Lovewell, Fort Lauderdale, Teen Session 2, 2018, Axel Falls, the future is now. Uh, did you know that you were quoting Axel Falls? I had every intention of doing so. <laughs> um, 
Well, I am so happy that you're here and welcome back to the podcast. It's your second time appearing on Listen Well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, what have you been up to lately? Fill us in. Catch our listeners up. Oh, wow. I mean, uh, so 2019 has basically been about slowly but surely setting up a lot of projects that'll happen um, either late spring, early summer. Um, so it's it's just been like, my brain has sort of been a little fuzzy lately because it's just been so many different projects that are all going to happen or culminate within like the same one or two months. Um, so it's just been a lot of, uh, honestly, a lot of writing, a lot of writing out music, a lot of meetings with people. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it's just, it's just been a, a lot of planning, which is cool. That's great. Yeah. When we have those, those like really concentrated periods where so much happens, it's because we're working our butts off for months and months before that leading up to it. Right. Absolutely. That's great. I'm so happy to hear that you have so much exciting stuff going on. Yeah. It's, it's cool because some of it was, um, and we'll talk about this more later, but some of it was was planned out. Like I knew at the when twenty eighteen was ending, okay, we're gonna set up this project with this person, this reading with this person. And but then also within the past few weeks, uh, people have been reaching out to me about different projects uh, or sh- you know shows that I've written um, that I, I I'm thrilled about. But it, it also that now that's happening around the same time too. So it's um, yeah, it's really exciting. When it rains, it pours. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So now that you're sort of in this um, this routine, getting ready for these uh, projects that you have coming up, what's sort of like the average day in the life of Michael Fink look like? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> the New York Times crossword puzzle. Um, good. Not Saturday. I'm not good enough yet. But no, uh, no, no. Few uh, are. Few, <laughs> right? Um, but I would say, you know, it's it's a mixture of writing you know every day you know for at least an hour or two um sending out emails (laughs) and yeah sorry um and also writing out music and then and then also uh then leaving to do uh, other jobs you know i do teach around the city in some places and uh doing that so it's just it's a healthy dose of of writing for my own projects and you know emails and phone calls and text messages to make those projects happen. Um, I, I would say I, I am getting better at a routine, uh, which is something <laughs> I've struggled with over the years just because of a million reasons. But, you know, it, it's one of the most helpful tools I have. I know that if, I, if I've uh, written for a couple hours every day, then I can say I can sleep easy that night. <laughs> um so, so that that's that, that's become important, you know. Waking up, uh, writing a bit, and then you know doing things that are maybe their self care. I don't know, but like watching the news, <laughs> which is for some people like their nightmare, but for it's me, the it's the opposite like, of self. Yeah, <laughs> for me, it's like oh, a bowl of cereal, you know, just give me some, uh, <laughs> give me some Rachel Maddow, and I'm ready to roll. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, and then and then doing the, I, I guess business side of things maybe not business but like administrative side of things of certain projects Mm. um so balancing the writing balancing the administrative stuff and then and then going out and and doing some work and then at the end of the day 
uh, trying to see a show or trying to see a movie, um, I, I'm I'm lucky that I get to see a lot of cool theater here in New York. And yeah, I'm trying to maintain that, and I think that's also an important part of anyone's creative process is to see the work other people are doing. Uh, For sure. Cool. For sure. And so let's talk a little more about your writing process. I know that you talked a little bit about how finding a routine has been um, a challenge and sort of like something you've you've risen to in, the, in these last couple months. But what is that writing process like? Uh, um, do you have to go somewhere to write? Do you get to stay home to write? Um, how does that sort of begin for you? Oh boy, I guess it's it's different with every project and every song. I, I can mm -hmm. say, um, you know, it's 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 one of two categories. It's either um, I know I have to write this scene or this song today, and I don't know how yep. it goes. And so sometimes, you know, a, a, a playwright friend of mine said to me, sometimes writing involves just staring at the wall. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, you're thinking, you're processing things. Um, you know, I recently got one of those Aqua notepads so I can take notes when I'm in the shower, um, yeah. which is the greatest thing ever. So th sometimes that writing process is a lot of mental scaffolding. You know, whenever mm. I'm writing a musical, you know, and, and I have totally stole this from the Lovewell method. But for me, you know, outlining is key. Outlining is everything. Yeah. So, so if I'm writing a show, you know, outlining the show and seeing how it all lays out is important or writing a song you know sort of outlining the song a little bit like you know what's the story of the song a to b to c and then once that's figured out then i can just jump right in and you know mm. it's like it's like coloring you know fill in all the dots fill in all the all the pages and what you need to what you need to get done um so so it really depends on the song it depends on the scene it depends on the project but you know every process is different but one thing that is a constant is is kind of mapping it out. Um, the show yeah. I'm I'm working on now, there was one day where I, I knew I had to write this scene, um, and I knew who was in it, and I knew where the scene had to end, but I had no idea how to get there. So I ended mm. up kind of pacing in my apartment for like <laughs> three hours, <laughs> just trying to figure it out, putting on relaxing music, staring at the <laughs> wall, and then once I kind of figured it out, I went to the keyboard. Um, in my office and just wrote it in 45 minutes, you know? Awesome. Um, and in terms of like where I go, what I do, um, I, I, I now have the luxury of a two bedroom apartment. Uh, I live with my no uh, partner, deal. Mark, no big deal, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Mark and I live together. Now we have a second bedroom. That's an office studio space. And that has been game changing, like to have an actual space yeah. just to write. Um, but it's also sometimes important to get out, you know, of the building and just go for a walk, you know, totally. or to clear your head. But, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of always overwhelmed by how much of writing is not writing. And so it's, it's comforting to hear, you know, that you can take that two hour break to sort of pace around and, you know, figure out what needs to happen in that story before you have to go back and actually get it done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, um, this show I just finished a, a draft of the very, very first draft has a lot of uh, 80s synthy sounds. So when I never knew what to do. I just told Alexa to play the the soundtracks to Stranger Things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and just kind of let that play on loop while I sat there and just kind of thought about the show and um and little things like that like I I could beat myself up if if I have nothing written down on the page after a few hours, but also it doesn't change the fact that I just spent hours <laughs> 
technically yeah. working on the show and, and trying to, you know, figure out the next step. So that's part of writing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Spotify has has made being a creative person or a person who works from home a much easier thing uh, to do because of something like that. Like you can go and listen to music and I always listen to movie scores or electronic music or I'm really into Japanese ambient sounds right now. Yeah. I'll just have that on in the background all day. Oh. Uh, and it helps helps me keep super duper focused because, you know, as two people who uh, have been in Lovewell a long time, we're uh, trained more or less to work really well when there's a lot of people in the room. And so it's sort of a challenge for me when I'm by myself in silence to get productive and to feel creative. And so I have to have something going on in that background to help uh, create a different sort of vibe for me. Yeah. Absolutely. I that that soundscapes channel <laughs> gives me more <laughs> life than I could possibly describe. <laughs> you mentioned uh, how outlining is such a big part of your process. Do you have any other sort of tips and tricks uh, when you're feeling stuck as a writer? Uh, you know, you mentioned you know walking around the apartment. Do you, do you have anything else that you sort of have in your tool chest that you can pull out when you're feeling stuck? Um. You know, one thing that helps a lot is free writing. You know, the idea mm. of, and I know this is kind of cliche creative writing 101, but it's true, is that when you're forced to put, to you know, to put out something, like put words to page, just writing out something can um, can help a lot. I, I know that, um, you know, again, stolen from Lovewell, Lovewell does a lot of writing exercises early on in the process. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we say a lot of the time is just keep writing even when you think you're done. And so yeah. sometimes I'll sit down and I'll say, I'm really stuck on this moment or this scene or this song, and I will just start writing what I think happens. And when I don't know what the next thing is, then I'll start writing. And now I don't know what happens next, but I'm going to keep writing this, you know, free write because I told myself I would. And I still haven't come up with it yet, but now I'm going to just make choices for this character. Now I'm going to come up with crazy scenarios. Um, and I think that's something else that helps a lot is is, is using what if to propel mm. uh, ideas in a story or in a song, um, you know, and, and just say what happens if... Uh, an alien landed here. What happens if she gets locked in the room? What happens if, and even if none of those ideas excite me or, or get me going, then I, I can say, you know, I can, I can actually look and say, why, why didn't those ideas excite me? Oh, maybe something else mm -hmm. does. Um, but yeah, free writing is really helpful. Um, when I'm at the yeah. keyboard, improvising stuff is really helpful. And I'm yes. like, oh, that, that was cool. I just played this thing and that could be something I want to use in this or if not this moment, but maybe later on in the show. And so, yeah, when when you're sort of stuck, it's important to remember that an object in motion stays in motion, an object at rest stays at rest. Right. So however you can get those wheels spinning, uh, you got to do it. Right. And I love that that what if scenario. I'm a huge fan of if I'm stuck in a scene writing a monologue for a character that'll never end up in the play just so I can sort of figure out what's going on in that character's head in that scene. Uh, I'm also like a big fan of changing styles. So if I'm, you know, writing a short story, I'll write out the dialogue as if it were in a play, or if I'm writing a scene in a play, I might take a break and make a poem out of the scene, right? Just to sort of yes. shock my brain and 
switch things up a little bit. But those little those little tricks definitely they add up. I think in the in the long mm-hmm. run. And also one thing that helps me out too is making a list of the things I know I want to happen. Mm. You know, like yep. I I know I want these two characters to break out of this place together. I know that I want it to feel uh, dark and ominous in, in the room. And I know, you know, I'm using very vague terms for a show that I haven't described at all. So apologizing <laughs> to the listeners out there. But um, but making a list of, of your impulses that you know you want is so mm-hmm. helpful because you're all, then you're creating parameters for yourself. Then you're creating guidelines for yourself to use that you can later on break if you want. But, you know, at least you've set up a list of list of things that you know you want totally and you're someone who i know um has always preached knowing the rules and then breaking them as often as possible um so i appreciate you saying to look out for what you want but know that it can still be flexible and it can still evolve if that's what you know the work sort of necessitates right yep uh, and I'm I'm a huge fan. As someone who generally doesn't know what they want, I'm a big fan also <laughs> of figuring out the things I don't want to happen in what I'm writing. Um, that could be sometimes just as just as helpful moving forward. Of okay, I figured I wrote this. I don't want this to happen. But now I can go back and maybe I can get a little better at finding out what I did want. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm the most indecisive person I know. So I, 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 if you ask me super salad, I have a nervous breakdown, you know, but, um, but, but yeah, I know, I know exactly Michael, what you Michael, mean. super salad soup. It's cold out. Oh, good. Good. Oh, good. See, I just knew. See, we can you all do did. it. We can all grow. <laughs> Love all grows. Um, we talk a lot, <laughs> we talk a lot on the show, uh, about, especially in these Love Well spotlight interviews of what, inspiration means to the artists that we interview and where do we think it comes from? And so I'd love to hear a little bit about what inspiration means to you and um, what's sort of that, that big key for you to feel inspired or to be inspired. Where does that come from for you? Um, that's a great question. I think uh before even defining what I think inspiration is, I think something that's really important for everyone, including myself, because I have to remind myself all the time, is that whatever inspiration is to you, you have to be open to it and you have to let yourself um, feel it. Uh, yeah. A lot of the times, especially, you know, the older I get and the, the longer I live in, in New York, and I, and I love living here and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world but there are times where you can become exhausted there are times where you can become jaded by things there will be times where you can walk into a theater or a, a, a you know movie theater or whatever or a sports game it can be anything and you kind of have your arms crossed a little bit like mm-hmm. you're not going to be open to whatever you could be feeling in that moment and so um i think it's important to, to give yourself the privilege of feeling inspired that being said mm-hmm. um I think inspiration is um, when an idea or a feeling or a thought hits you and it stays with you and it doesn't mm. leave you for a, a, a while. And then whatever that thing is propels you to take action, um, whether it's artistically or whether it's um, helping someone else out. Um, and, I, and I think inspiration is whatever propels you to move forward. Yeah, I love that. It's like, you know, if you get hit by a tennis ball 
often enough, that probably means you should go out and play tennis, right? If, if this idea keeps coming back to you, mm-hmm. there's, there's probably a reason for it, and you should probably try and chase it down a little bit. Absolutely. When people ask me, you know, why do you write the songs you write or the shows you write? And, and, and the thing I say is, you know, writing musical theater is hard. <laughs> writing <laughs> musicals is hard. Writing songs can be hard. Um, and so if you're going to commit to doing that, to do, you know, committing to throwing yourself into a project that's going to sustain you for a long time, it better be about something you care about. And usually yes. I know what that thing is if it's been if it's been in my head or it's been in my heart for a very long time and it's not going anywhere. And it means Mm. this, this, this must be something that is motivating me. This must be something that's inspiring me. Uh, And and so, yeah, I want to write about this person or I want to write about this event or I want to write about this story. Um, And that, that I think is the biggest inspiration at all is is when it just sits with you and it doesn't leave you. Yeah. And and for me, I I love you talking about that remaining open, right? Because, sort of as as artists, um, especially when we go to see work that's in our art form, it, it's sometimes our first impulse is not to be open to it and not to, to welcome it. It's more to be critical of it, perhaps, or mm-hmm. to um, look at it through that lens as a person who, who creates art in the same art form. And we, that can close us off a little bit. So I, I love how you're talking about being open, right? And letting um, yourself have an experience. But I also think inspiration is not always something that just comes towards you, right? You also sometimes have to go out and, and find it, right? Oh, totally. Um, so it's it's that, that lovely dichotomy of um, being open, but being aggressive at the same time. Yep. And, and I think knowing what you're... Uh knowing what might help you find inspiration is key for me it's it's movies and movies mm-hmm. that i know nothing about uh i got that glorious amc uh a list is that what it's called the pass I, the I movie pass i think so it's some version of the it's of that it's so great and i i remember one day kind of being a little stuck so i said whatever i'm gonna tr- take myself out to a movie so i went to see a movie and i ended up seeing a movie called a simple favor <laughs> uh mm-hmm. with Anna Kendrick not knowing anything about it and I I loved it and it 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 inspired me so much uh on on a certain project I was working on and so you know exactly what you just said going out and finding it even if it's something you may dislike or you may not be a fan of you know and and for me it's it's movies that I may not have heard anything about or heard what mm-hmm. reviews said or what friends have said and um that's that's one thing I do whenever I, I want to seek out inspiration yeah, because a lot of inspiration comes from like a shock to our system, right? So going to see a movie that we know nothing about is going to inherently be shocking because mm-hmm. we have no preconceived notions about it. Totally. Uh, can you walk us through your bibliography a little bit as a writer? I know we're going to talk about some of the new stuff you're working on, but um, can you kind of give us a little sampling of some of uh, your selected works and what they were, what they were about, when were you working on them? Kind of just take us through the hits there. Sure. Um, so I I moved to New York to go to NYU, uh, you know, wanting to study performing and acting. And, mm-hmm. um, and then my freshman year of school, I got really involved in writing musical theater. Uh, in fact, I, I would 
take the train uptown to Fordham University and pretend to go there and sneak past security <laughs> so I could use their 24-hour piano rooms, uh, which was like, it, that's a weird thing to do your freshman year of school is to break into another college's piano room, but it's fine. Um, and so uh, at the end of my freshman year, I, or by the end of my freshman year, I said, I'm going to write a, a full-length musical. Um, and so then I wrote my first show, which is which is called Goodnight Stranger, and I did a reading of it the next year. And um, it's a show that uh, was like 80 hours long and made no sense. And <laughs> uh, but that's okay, because it was the first one, right? So yeah, I, you got to get that first one out of your system. I used to never um, tell anyone about that one. And then I realized, no, I'm going to wear it with the badge of honor. And I had yeah. four actors, four actors, brave courageously uh <laughs> try to make sense of this very long confusing weird little show but anyway so there's that and then um uh the next year i i wrote uh my second full-length show which is called reporting live which um had a full production at nyu which was super exciting um and then we got to uh reporting live is a story of christine chubbuck who is a reporter who um took her own life uh, on live tv in the 70s mm -hmm. um and it's a very intense story, but also a very fascinating one that people don't know too much about. Uh, and then after the production at NYU, it had a, a reading at the New York Music Theater Festival, and it starred um, Alex Brightman and Kate Schindel and no Teresa big deal, Teresa McCart. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was amazing. That was so wild. And then yeah. um, it had a recording at Dubway Studios with like a twenty three piece orchestra. It was reporting live as. Uh, lived lived wonderfully um and actually long island university just did a, a reading of it a couple of years ago um it's exciting yeah and then uh after that i wrote a uh i started doing concerts around the city um at places like don't tell mama at uh the Lori beachman theater at fine science 54 below mm -hmm. uh with songs from you know these book musicals and songs that are just songs that i wrote uh, and th those are always incredibly stressful, uh, but also wildly worth it in the end. And then uh, the next sh show I wrote was a, a show called Caroline and George, an absurd yes. love story, but not of the above mentioned names, which is uh, <laughs> uh, a very absurdist epic musical dramedy, I guess, uh, that, yeah. that uh, recounts the uh, true story of King George IV, Queen Caroline of Brunswick, and their very terrible marriage um and uh it's a show i love very very much and I, I i i adore that show oh thank you uh and the first time we did it i actually convinced 12 friends of mine to learn this very long <laughs> score uh and they did it and it was awesome and uh since then it had a, a reading in la with a new musicals uh new musical inc NMI, yeah, uh, and it's um, and it's a show that it's it's a big show, and so it's it's uh, it's one that I'm still kind of pushing, uh, and it, knock on wood, could have something that happens later on this year. Who knows? Uh, but one thing that's really cool is um, uh, Nipe Niels Peter Ankerbloom, Lovewell's very own. Uh, shout out! Shout out. Uh, he he uh, orchestrated one of the songs to be recorded. Uh, with the Czech National Symphony Orchestra a couple of years ago, uh, which was awesome, and for this just for just for fun, and the the, the <laughs> woman who ended up singing it uh, was Bonnie Milligan, who uh, if anyone listened to Head Over Heels, she played Princess Pamela. She's one of the kindest, most amazing human beings 
in the world. Um, and that was exciting. So I got to have Bonnie Milligan accompanied by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra, uh, which yeah, was which wild is, for, which Ter- looks, for Caroline. looks stellar on the resume, and it takes up most of the resume. <laughs> oh, yeah. I pretty much put that in, like, 48 size font, and then the rest <laughs> of it's, you know. Um, and then the, the only other things, uh, you know, or big products to mention is there was a show I've, uh, a sung through show I wrote that used to be called Hurricane um, that's now called Surrounded by the Water because uh, it's been under lots of revisions. Uh, <laughs> it's a sung through piece with five people in a living room. And that's happened at a lot of different places like Musical Theater Factory in New York, um, Musical Theater Heritage in Kansas City, uh, Merrimack Repertory Company just outside Boston. Uh, and now, and this is one of the things that sort of came up, uh, Surrounded by the Water is happening um, in Detroit this summer. Amazing. which is so cool. And I, I've never been to Detroit, so I'm going to fly out there and, and, and work with this relatively young theater company um, that does new works and they've never done a musical before and cool. they, they want to do this one. So that's going to be exciting. And fitting in Detroit, which like surrounded by water sounds like a threat to Detroit. You know what I mean? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> um, so, so that's going to happen there. And then, um, and then, and then there are these projects. Oh, and I forgot. I wrote a musical short last year um, oh. called... How, uh, how could I forget? <laughs> I forgot about it. called Dead Flowers. Uh, and it yes. happened at the Signature Theater last year with um, Theater Now New York's Festival of Musical Shorts. Uh, and I'd never done a, a musical short before because everything mm-hmm. I write is way too long. Uh, <laughs> and, and that was a total blast uh, doing that. And that might happen again this summer. Um, awesome. Waiting to find out... Um, the dates for that but yeah i feel like th- that's when you can start calling yourself a writer when you forget the things that you've written so congratulations <laughs> you're a writer <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> um well taking a, sort of a step back from just uh, the experience as a writer um all of this stuff that you've talked about you've written since you've moved to new york almost 12 years ago now and Gulped. I feel like New York is a part of your identity and it's certainly something that has helped craft you as an artist. And so what has your relationship with that city been like over these past 12 years? How has it grown? How has it evolved? Do you feel like you're still inspired by it? Do you feel beaten down by it? Um, Talk to me about your love affair with New York. Um, I, I do love New York. I, I love it. And I, I don't know if I'll spend the rest of my life here, but I know I have many, many years to go while living here. And I, I love that. Um, uh, first of all, I, I think one of the biggest things about New York is, is the ability to leave it and to get out of it and then come back mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when you need to. Uh, I, I love New York a lot. And, and every once in a while, I think it's important to remind yourself that 99.999% of the world does not function in this way. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it, it was only a couple weeks ago where I had been doing, I, I was doing intense, intense writing a few weeks ago for uh, a show. And then I had to write out a bunch of sheet music for this other concert that was happening. And I saw on my calendar, I had two days <laughs> where I had nothing planned, nothing booked. Um, mm-hmm. And so Mark and I just got on a bus and went to Philadelphia for a, a day basically awesome. um, just to leave the city because it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it can be a little congestive. That being you said, get, you can get sucked in for sure. Absolutely. Uh, that being said, I, I love it. And I was very lucky with how I 
got to know New York City because in high school, I, I did the Tisch Summer High School program, which is this four week yeah. program. But essentially, you, you fly up as a, as a high school student and you live in one of the dorms. And because you are um, still in high school, you, you are very much supervised and taken care of, and you're always being held by the hand. So by the time I actually went, moved to New York to go to NYU uh, for college, uh, I already had a little bit of my bearings and I already had some people around me that I knew. Um, and then by the time I graduated from NYU, as you would know, it, mm -hmm. living in New York wasn't as scary because I, I had been in New York and I had yeah. it with some sort of safeguards and, and, and uh, protections around me. And so I, I marvel and applaud at anyone who moves to New York without that type of, you know, handholding in the beginning. I, I mm -hmm. think it's, um, I think it's astonishing, not because the city is impossible to live in, but it's because it can be overwhelming at times, you know, getting to know the subways, getting to know um, the ins and outs of, 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 of neighborhoods that you want to fall in love with, finding a place to live. It, it can be a lot. And so I, I was super lucky to have that experience of, of you know, education and uh, in college to, to introduce me to New York. Uh, but I love it. Yeah, and I think you, you've always been an adventurous New Yorker. I know that when I was first starting out uh, at NYU, my first year or two, going above 14th Street seemed terrifying to me. Oh, totally. Um, but you you sort of always have been one to explore and um, go out and branch out. And do you feel like you still get to explore parts of the city? Is there still parts of the city that are still unknown to you? For sure. Uh, there's There's... there's... There's so much that happens in the city, and I'm not talking the things that you know people see about on TV or Broadway shows or or Yankees games, but like so many street fairs and festivals mm. and little music festivals that little neighborhoods do all over the place. Um, and New York is so big, not necessarily you know geographically, but in terms of neighborhoods and cultures yes. and uh, different things to experience. And I. I I am I know I still have so much more to see of New York. Um, you know, it was it was I got a text from a friend a few weeks ago saying, "Hey, I'm going to go to the 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 boating festival in Flushing." I was like, <laughs> "What are you talking about? There's a boat festival and, you know, little things like that that happen all the time." Um, so there, there's this phrase is so tired with New York, but it's still so true. There's so much to do and so much yeah. to see. Um, and every neighborhood is like its own country, you know? Yes, for sure. Um, and one of the benefits of living in New York City for all this time, you get to see a lot of theater, right? Yes. And so what's what are some of the pieces of theater that have been most exciting for you recently that you've experienced? Um, well... Oh my goodness! I just saw *To Kill a Mockingbird*, um, Ugh, and I know there awesome. was, it was, uh, it was so good. And I know there's that really <laughs> depressing article in the New York Times that came out yesterday about I how know. about how the Scott Rudin, the producer, is shutting down all these local productions of *To Kill a <laughs> so Mockingbird*. Silly. And, and it makes me sad because I want to like tell all my friends to go see it, and now people are saying, "Oh, we shouldn't go see it." No, go well, see it like, because. And like Atticus Finch would not want that to happen. Okay? No, of course not. And it's it's so ludicrous, the whole thing. And and it breaks my heart too because the design of that show was 
extraordinary. I mean, a tree flew in from the fly, like one tree, oh. and I audibly gasped. <gasps> and like every play in the world has a tree, but something about that tree, the way that was designed, and then the music that was layered underneath it, and it, uh, it was so good. Um, I'm trying to think about what else I've seen. You saw The Network recently? Saw Network recently, which was another one that was just uh, mind-blowing and, and super cool, and how, uh, you know, I, I love any show that gets put into a commercial theater or a Broadway theater mm. that kind of challenges what we think of as yeah. Broadway theater, you know, because all over New York, you have amazing artists doing all these experimental things downtown in Brooklyn, you know, basement somewhere in the village. It doesn't matter. Um, and so when people bring those tricks and those tools to a Broadway stage like Network did, I was I was floored and thrilled by it. Um and I'm trying to think. Any musicals? Uh, musicals? No, not not in the past few weeks because a lot of shows are just now starting up, especially yeah. off, off Broadway. There's so many cool musicals in downtown. Like there's We Are the Tigers, there's Superhero. There, so I, I haven't seen any of those yet, which I'm I know I'm gonna get to. Oh wait, yes. Duh, I just saw um, Fiasco Theater Company's production of Merrily We Roll Along. Ooh. It was so good. And I know I sound like a person who loves everything, and I, I'm not. <laughs> um, I'm Sometimes I'm a jerk. But that, these are all great shows. And, and Merrily We Roll Along was awesome because I didn't I, – I know it's a reworked version of the show. If, for those of you who don't know it, it's a, a Stephen Sondheim musical from the 80s that – famously closed in like two weeks mm -hmm. and it, it made Sondheim quit writing theater and it was such a bad experience um obviously he didn't quit he came back and wrote <laughs> more amazing things he's he's doing okay yeah he, like he's he's fine he's doing fine um but so the show originally had like 25 actors and a big orchestra and and Fiasco Theater Company which is this awesome theater company that sort of deconstructs classic works and now they're doing musicals too um they did it with six people and i didn't know the original version of it and i saw this and i was so inspired and i want every young artist to i'm now like preaching the good book of merrily roll along which i know <laughs> other people have been doing for decades so like i won't pretend that i'm the one to discover it um you know lovewell's luke catler it's his favorite show of all time and he, <laughs> he had a million questions for me you know after i saw it um and uh, but I want every I think every young artist should should acquaint themselves with 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 that show for a lot of reasons. So as a musical theater historian, what is your musical theater Mount Rushmore, your top four shows? I know the other day on Twitter, we got your top four movies, which mm -hmm. was, of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Amelie. Uh, Life with Mikey, and then A League of Their Own. League of Their Own was the only one I didn't guess before I saw your answer, because I felt like that fourth spot was a toss-up between a couple movies. But I knew, the, I knew those other three were definitely on that M Mount Rushmore for you. Yeah, that thing you do in Beauty and the Beast were, were mm. close ones. And yeah. My Cousin Vinny. But yeah, anywho, I could go on. But, but <laughs> musical theater, what do you think is that, that Mount Rushmore for you? Oh, um... I'd have to say Carousel, because mm. um, that score is just uh, overwhelmingly uh, moving. Uh, and I know the story is is a tough pill to swallow, and it, it can be handled really well, and it cannot be handled well. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and, and I respect people's uh, views and opinions on that wholeheartedly. But I, I would put Carousel up there. Um, Titanic, which mm-hmm. is um, th- the reason why it's on my Mount Rushmore is because it was the first show that taught me how big uh, an imaginative theater can be. Because I saw the original production in 97 and it it, it, it blew me away. Um, I it's it's an ever-changing list i'm gonna include follies sondheim's follies i I made a joke with someone a few weeks ago that like uh, or a few days ago i don't know time is a construct but uh (laughs) i I made a joke to someone saying like i think i'll I'll finally be mature enough to admit that follies is my favorite sondheim musical um just because it's it is so dark and so twisted but also so funny and it's such a cool story yeah and um mount rushmore I mean, Phantom of the Opera is the first show I ever saw, and I've seen yeah. it now 10 times since because it's it's the type of show that can only like, be done in a theater. Yeah, so I'd that's, have to, that's got to be on your Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I would say I'd say Phantom is is up there. Um, this I, I really love grandiosity in theater. I love mm. lush. I love, um, you know epicness because i think uh theater can be so transcendent and transportive not necessarily to make you forget where you are but to make where you are even bigger than you think it is uh, and so yeah but i, I also need to do a shout out to because all those are very serious dramas but mm-hmm. uh I, I have to mention the full monty <laughs> Yeah. It's it's probably my favorite musical comedy and i think it's one of the most perfect musical comedies ever written um so uh and i'll listen to that recording all the time fun fact uh you and i saw the full monty together once and uh it was the know, first time we ever hung out first time we ever hung out one of the one of our first friend dates <laughs> i and, know uh, i really i had no idea that they were really going to go the full monty at the end i um, know it that was, was a shock <laughs> a sight to behold but uh uh yeah no that was that was an amazing and fun fact the guy who was the lead in that production uh i've now worked with uh in in concerts of mine which is awesome so you never know full circle everything comes full circle all right so let's talk a little bit about your lovewell history um we heard a little bit about it when you were on the show before with with taking root um but can you tell us a little bit about sort of your your career as a Lovewell Light, going from student to staff member, maybe talk about some of the places that you've gotten to travel to and um, walk us through a little bit of that. Sure. Um, so I had heard of Lovewell from a rather young age because I was doing a lot with a Little Palm Theater Company or Little Palm Family mm-hmm. Theater. And there were a few crossovers from the Lovewell community to the Little Palm community, like Ryan McCall, uh, the late, great Paul Levillar, um, who uh, worked a lot with Little Palm, it would mention Lovewell to me. And I didn't really understand it until finally um, our high school drama teacher, um, Alyssa, Alyssa Marks. Uh, shout out. Yeah, shout out to Alyssa. Uh, did uh, David Spangler's master's program and then um, sort of became invested in Lovewell and asked if she could direct a Lovewell show mm-hmm. at uh, our school. And it became the first show, I think, the first show... Lovewell show to happen outside of Lovewell, like at a school. Um, yeah, it's like the, the the birth of the Lovewell catalog, which is going strong to this day. 
Yes. And so we did Peace of Mind in 2004, uh, which brought back Ryan McCall and it introduced us to Carrie Gilchrist. And uh, that following summer, uh, I was still hesitant about Lovewell. I thought, mm, I don't know. I don't know if it's for me. I don't know. <laughs> and then Carrie Gilchrist basically, uh, she's so good at this, was like, you want to do Lovewell. You will enjoy Lovewell and you'll be great with Lovewell. I thought, okay, you sold me. So I did it and that was taking root uh, in 2005 as a student. And so I was yep. a student for a few years. Um, and then uh, my last year as a student in 2007 uh, with the bout face, uh, you know, Lovewell Junior Session 2 needed someone else to be on the music staff. So yep. Carrie approached me if I would be, be on the music staff for that show. I said, sure, that sounds great it sounds like a lot of fun um and then that was the first summer i worked with Lovewell love well in 2007 and i've literally uh worked with Lovewell every summer since every um, summer since unbelievable i know i always think too i'm not going to be able to do it like oh like scheduling is going to be a little crazy and then oh okay i do one and then it turns into more than one you know and then um yeah. and i'm super grateful for that and, uh, uh, so what are some of the places that you've been to, to, to do level processes? I've been so lucky to go to so many places. So, um, like after that first summer, I, I flew to Dayton, Ohio mm -hmm. to do love well there. And I did there for about five years, um, once with yourself, which was awesome. Oh, yeah. uh, I have done love well Columbus, Ohio for a bunch of years. Um, we did, did love well, Italy, uh, love well, New York, love well, Sweden, obviously level Fort Lauderdale, um, did level Kansas, uh, even, even did a, a week long workshop in Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> you've been everywhere that Lovewell could be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have never been to Russia and I know that that's yes. one that's been on the, on the, or, or you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I've, I've been everywhere and it's, uh, it's so cool and it's so exciting to watch, the, the Lovewell process affect different people, different cultures, and different communities, and not just international. I mean, you know, doing Lovewell in Kansas yeah. was like doing it um, in another planet from Fort Lauderdale. They're two separate planets, you know? Yeah, for, um, for us, definitely. And Lovewell, New York, you know, it's, 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 it's just cool how the process affects people in different ways, and to witness that is awesome. So in all those different places, is there sort of a part of the Lovewell process that you've identified that is universal in, in those different areas that the students, no matter where they are, no matter what their background is, that they still sort of respond to in the same way? I think everyone responds to brainstorming the same way. Mm. Uh, not everyone responds the same way, but every, uh, that's, that's the wrong way to put it. Every, um, Every ensemble of artists, every collaborative artist responds differently or responds the same way, meaning you have students who love it. You have students who fall asleep. You have students who <laughs> not literally, of course, but you have students who can't wait for it to be over. You have students who who just want to hear every idea and every student respects it hmm. everywhere you go, because it's it's understood um, that this is a time for people to be vulnerable with their ideas. We never really had to say, I've never had to say at any level in any location, um, 
you know, we, we need to be respectful of people's ideas because it's a vulnerable thing to do. It's sort yeah. of understood. Even yeah, in, um, exactly, even last summer in Con- Concordia, Kansas, um, it was an amazing group of students. And m- most of them had said they had never seen a musical before, mm. um, which is going to be tricky to write a musical having never yeah. even seen a musical um and we would say what was your favorite play and they mentioned you know one school play that happened the year before and even in that brainstorming circle they were so respectful and diligent of everyone just sharing ideas and i think that's that's something that happens every year every location every workshop and it's it's yeah, so it's... cool to watch young artists acknowledge that vulnerability you know yeah i love that it's like being told to to paint a rainforest after never having seen a rainforest. Like, yeah, how, how do you basically. Even begin with that. Um, that's I, I love that. And so, where where in that process, um, whether it's the brainstorming part of the process, the writing part of the process, the production side of the process, where in that process do you find yourself still being the most curious as to how exactly it works? You personally, um, what part of that process is still sort of the most fascinating to you? Um, there's a moment in every process where you start making decisions as a group Mm. and they always start off kind of broad or vague for the most part, not always, but, uh, a a lot of the time. And that's, that's fine. And that's great. And that's what has to happen. The part that I still try to figure out because it is different with every workshop is how the group makes the more specific decisions. Um, you know, whether it's, it's time and place, whether it's, a key moment in the plot and 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 it's always a scary thing to do and i remember as a student sometimes those decisions specific decisions being made and me being so uncomfortable with it and going mm. i don't know if that's going to make sense i don't know if that's going to work meanwhile lots of other people are jazzed about it and excited so i i think i think it's it's like the day before you write the first song yeah that is the day where you walk in the most unsure and you leave the most aware of what it is you're about to do next. If that makes sense. (laughs) No, totally. And I mean, I, I, am sure I sound like a broken record at this point, but something I I constantly say throughout that love wall process is that there's no such thing as the wrong decision, good or bad. The only wrong decision is the one you don't make, right? It, It comes a time where we just have to make choices and trust that, when we make those choices, even if we're not all feeling 100% about them, we will work from this new decision to then find something that we feel 100% about. Absolutely. And and every process is different because I remember in under 18th Street, you know, we, we, we took our time making those decisions to get more specific. And it's because yeah. it was such a large group. So I remember, you know, it was it was safe space and it was modern safe space and it was safe space with artists and, and marginalized peoples. And then we we're going to say underground. So, you know, it, it took our time. And then on the other side of that, I remember in 2011 in Dayton, Ohio, we did a show called Carried Away. Mm-hmm. And the second person in the first round of brainstorming said the word rapture, like doing mm. a show about the rapture and the end of times or end of days. And we brainstormed for three days because we wanted to make sure everyone had different ideas that were being shared. But everyone got excited by that. And so when we said, are we going to write a show about the rapture that takes place 100 years ago? They all mm. said yes, you know, but yeah. like that that moment, there's no science to it because it's different with every group. So it's about how will, how is this group going to make those decisions? You know, totally. And I mean, and to this day, 
you know, the anywhere between two to five times a year that I get to do a love well process, I, I live for that spark. I live for the the two to five times a year that it happens because it's it's my absolute favorite part. That that moment in the brainstorming circle where you can feel the the energy in the room change and shift because we've we've found mm-hmm. the idea. I, I, I love that so much. Yeah. Um, how is it different as someone who spends so much of their time writing by themselves? How how is it different writing with collaborators in the love well process? How is it easier and how is it maybe a little more challenging for you? It's easier because the odds of someone having the answer to the problem you're facing um, are a lot higher. Like you're gonna, you're, yeah. it is much more likely that someone in that room <clears throat> will know how to figure out that lyric or how to figure out that melody because there's more heads working on it. Um, and I think the the biggest challenge is sharing a unified vision for mm. what it is you're about to write or what it is you're about to do. Um, you know, l- last summer in Columbus, we were writing the opening number and it was very tricky because we knew we wanted it to be this big dance number uh-huh. uh, that kind of introduced the world of the play. It was it was Sanctuary, the musical refuge, um, yep. an awesome show. And we wrote the opening number and it sort of had this disco feel like Studio 54, this pulsing energy to it. But it was a very specific way to go. And I remember the group, some people were really excited about it after we'd written. Some people were just unsure about it. Some people were... We're, we're, we're saying, you know, is, is this the sound we want for our show or for this moment? And then we, it was the end of the day. It was like, let's, let's sleep on it. Let's sit with it. And then the next day we sat and we played through it. We sang through it. And it was this moment of awesome. I just needed to hear it. And now, and now I get it, you know, or now, now I'm ready. Like for people who had reservations about it, um, which is understandable to have reservations about a a, a vision being shared amongst two dozen people. Um, but we got to that vision for a reason. We got, you know, we got to that place because all these heads were in the room um, thinking about it and dreaming it up and trying to figure it out together. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's, you know, everything always traces back to the affirmations. And affirmation number three, I visualize perfection daily until I breathe it into expression. And that's that's it personified, right? It, it's it's so hard to to see something so clearly in your head and not have the words to express it to somebody else. And hopefully what this process does is it allows you to have the freedom and the vulnerability to, to not get it right in your expression the first time, to, to share it anyway and, and hope that somebody else can help fill in those spots that aren't as, as clearly defined yet. Um, it never gets easier to do that, but I think that the more you do this, you get better at it. Um, yeah, that's 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 that magic of working with other people, right? Yep, totally. Is is there of the many many shows that you've done? Is, is there a show that sort of resonates with you the strongest emotionally to this day? And uh, what show or what process was that, and why? Oh, um, so many. I, you know, I, I I've told this to you a billion times, uh, yeah. but I'll share it with the world. Um, uh. In 2010, in Dayton, Ohio, we did a show called Dust in the Sunlight, yes. um, which was a show. Um, oh, I got I get goosebumps thinking about it now um, <laughs> because when uh, when the 
uh, economic crash happened in 2008. Um, one of the hardest hit places in the country was the state of Ohio. And I mean that the yep. state because on the top 10 list of dying cities in America in 2009, four of the 10 cities were in Ohio and mm -hmm. Dayton was like number two. Um, so the, the, the recession had a big impact. And I remember during this process in 2010, we asked the students, you know, what makes you angry? And eventually this deluge of, of thoughts and fears and frustrations came out. Like I can't go to college. I have to get a second job right now. And I'm yeah. still in high school to support my family. Um, I, you know, me and my siblings all have to share a room because we had to move out of our house because they were so affected by it. And yeah. so we wrote this show um, that took place partially present day, partially um, in the 30s. So we could kind of compare the, the the recession with the, the Great Depression. And, um, and long story short, students got to play roles that they heavily connected to on a personal level. Um, I know one student... Um, who, who tragically lost her mother that year, the year before. She played a, a grandmother in the show who passes away in the story. We know one student whose mom had just been laid off from work and she played um, a woman who in the opening number loses her job. And it was just very personal, um, but very inspiring. And I just remember after the first performance, the whole audience was just in tears. One woman I remember crying just said, this is about me. This is my story. She literally said those words. I yeah. and we and we didn't really know um, that kind of impact was going to happen, but it was just directly about the community surrounding them, um, surrounding the, the the students and surrounding the the audience that that came to see it. Um, and I'm I'm going to mention one other just because it's a bit more recent. Uh, yeah. But last summer, when you and I were in Phillipsburg, Kansas. Mm -hmm. I was very moved by that experience because yeah. one thing the students talked about was, uh, as you remember, this this cliche about the the small town dream of getting out of your small town, and and this this struggle that the, the students were talking about with um, loving your hometown, wanting to stay true to it, but also wanting to explore bigger things outside of it, and how do you reconcile that? And we live in a time in place in history where people feel like everything has to be either or you're yeah. either for something you're against something you're either telling the truth or you're lying you know and this was a show where we watched these students write a show with a really cool story and they um and they kind of said you can you can do both you can yeah. you can always have this place be a part of you you can always go out and and see uh bigger cities bigger bigger worlds and then you can always come home like it doesn't have to be this um this, you know, either or situation. Uh, and so I, that, that theme is stuck in my head ever since we, we did that together. Um, yes, yeah, so it was a very bipartisan approach to storytelling. Um, and I, yeah. I loved it. I, I really did. And I, you know, when I wrote that question down to ask you, I, I, I figured you would talk about dust in the sunlight and I love, love, love hearing you talk about that show. And I have such a specific memory that summer of you sending me the script and reading it and i just remember being floored i mean to this day it's one of the most beautiful scripts i've ever read and um it's it sounds like it's a, it was a very special experience for everyone involved yeah absolutely and i um and it just showed you know it, it was awesome because it showed what kind of um 
work level can create and one thing that's also really cool just to emphasize the fact that level is a community is that you know the following year we wrote the show about the rapture which was again mm-hmm. a heavy-handed show and so then the next year i think it was when you got to dayton uh yep. those students those students were like you know we've been creating these heavy things <laughs> we need to do something ridiculous and so we, we wrote this amazing hilarious show about aliens in in new mexico and it was it was awesome but it was just like that that community of Lovewell artists in, in Ohio needed that at that moment. They as a collective, which is so cool. Totally, um, yeah. It, I love watching groups of students who have been working together for several years. I love watching the shifts in the things that they want to write about. Um, and I'm grateful that I'm in a place where I've been doing this long enough where I can notice patterns like that because um, they're always so so fascinating to me. Yeah. And, you know, now that you've been involved with Lovewell for, this is your 15th year being involved with Lovewell now. Um, I'm going to keep dropping, you know, number wow. one throughout all of this. Um, try to give me the one reason, one reason why you come back every summer. The people. Um, I could give more more. reasons, but, but if I had to, if I had to give one reason, it's because, um, you know, Lovewell is so much work for students and for staff, uh, with good reason too, to be a lot of work. And, and, and it's very vulnerable. It's very exhausting and very rewarding. And when you go through a process like that, if you're not able to connect Mm -hmm. with the people that you're working with, it can be a nightmare. And if you can, it is just pure catharsis and joy. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, you know, I, I would come back to Lovewell constantly for a bunch of other reasons. You know, I think the other big reason being that I think as a writer, it's really good for me and my brain to be put in a setting where I, with other artists have to churn out material at a fast rate make yeah. quick decisions, move forward. And it's, it's a great exercise for me as a writer artistically. But beyond that, it's, it's that the, the, the people are always so kind and, and generous in the Lovewell community, whether it's their first time doing it, whether they've been around for decades, it's, um, it, 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 it's so warm and loving and embracing, um, which is the, the main reason to do anything is to, to be, you know, with people who kind of, give you that that warmth you know all right so we are in 2019 2019 and i want to know i want our listeners to know about all of these incredible projects that you have lined up over these next couple months we've been waiting with bated breath for the answer to this enigma tell us about the projects you're working on okay this is cool. Um, so I, I can't talk about everything just because certain dates haven't been set yet for a few things. Of course. Um, and, you know, we hush money, CIA, we, you know, contracts, we understand. I, I wish it was a situation where it's like, <laughs> oh, all these millionaires won't let me talk about it. That's not the situation. <laughs> it's not like, I know this is going to be archived forever. And I could say, come see this show on yeah. on July 3rd. And then it's like, <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be uh, in December. So I don't know. Anyways. Um, 
so one thing which I mentioned already is uh, Surrounded by the Water is happening um, in Detroit uh, with Out Visible Theater Company in June, which is really cool. Um, are you going to get to go to Detroit to develop it? Or are you just going to be going to watch a workshop of it? Sort of what's that going to be like? So I'm just going to go uh, to uh, watch, watch a, a workshop of it. That's that's cool. all that it is. I'm going to f- fly in, uh, meet these awesome uh, theater makers and see what they do and create. The show is sung through. So they're over 300 pages of sheet music and uh, <laughs> <let's> watch them <laughs> wrestle through it. Um, and that'll be exciting too, because uh, Surrounded by the Water has been, it was a very difficult show to write. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, not like on an emotional level, but like logistically, it's been impossible. And after the last workshop I did uh, outside of Boston, um, I decided to throw away almost half the show or more like a third of the show um, and rewrote it. And, and then sit with that for a bit. So this will be mm-hmm. the first time that this version of the show gets performed. And that's nice. what I'm most excited about. Um, so there's that. Uh, I'm working on a new show with uh, playwright Alex Rubin. She's this amazing playwright and lyricist. Um, and she's writing the words. And I'm writing the music. We're doing a show called, uh, as of now, it's called Inside. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's basically a concert adaptation of the stanford prison experiment the famous Ooh. one from the 70s yeah we had a little a little concert of songs from it a couple weeks uh or a few months ago at the the duplex uh in the village um not knowing how it was going to go and it went really well which is exciting so so we're we're working on that show now um and and then of course the the duplex is also your favorite danny devito directed comedy that's not matilda Yes, yeah, that is so true. I just want to remind you of that while you were at the duplex there. No, thank you. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> Mr. DeVito. Uh, thank, thank you for your, your gifts. Um, he's a hero. Anyways, um, uh, what, what, okay, so one big thing I'm working on now, which is surreal and exciting, is uh, I'm making an album. Yeah, tell us, uh, tell us about it. So this, so I, I've never uh, made an album before of of my work, of my songs. Uh, so, so I'm teaming up with some amazing people. Um, Robbie Roselle is producing it. Um, Robbie Roselle is a is a dear friend of mine um, who uh, has been directing concerts and cabarets. Um, and with very successful, amazing Broadway performers. And he just produced, or I should say last year, he produced uh, Jessica Vosk's Wild and Free album. He was sort of the mastermind behind that album. And, okay. um, which if you haven't heard Wild and Free, it's incredible. Uh, Jessica's amazing. Um, you know, uh, she, she was sang in a couple concerts of mine, uh, or a, co- a concert of mine, and then in a benefit concert where she sang a song I wrote. Um, she's so cool. And Robbie, is the the spearheader of that uh is that the right word to use spearheader did i make that um, up or robbie spearheaded that perhaps? robbie spearheaded that that album yeah, yeah, uh so yeah. he so he's now um working on my album which is really exciting awesome also doing arrangements and music directing the album is uh nils petter anchor bloom uh shout Nipe. out All again right. um you know <laughs> If, if to anyone listening who knows Nipe knows that he is a, a, a musical genius uh, oh, yeah. and also one of the most incredible collaborators out there, and he won't say this himself, so I'm just going to say it for him a lot. Um, he is he, he's so smart and so gifted at, at, at elevating work and making songs bigger and, and, and stronger than, than they already are. Um, 
you know, we've been talking already about some songs. He's been doing some work on them and just the ideas he comes up with are amazing. So anyways, um, Nipe is arranging the album. Robbie is producing the album. And uh, in the next couple days, we are launching the Kickstarter to raise money for the album. Oh, that's um, exciting. It is exciting. I've never done a crowdfunding thing before. It's incredibly terrifying. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, to friends who have done it before, I salute you. Um, but it, it is this nerve-wracking thing of, of, you know, not knowing how it's going to unfold. But luckily, both Robbie and Nipe are so confident in it that they're like, we're moving forward because we, we know that it's going to happen. Um, yeah, whether you want to or not. Whether you want to or not, we're doing this thing. Um which is great. And, and we're hoping to uh, have a release by early summer. Amazing. So that's a lot of prep work for a short deadline. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll be we'll be sure to include the link to that Kickstarter in our show notes. So be sure to check that out if you are interested in supporting Michael and you should be interested in supporting Michael. Um, how how all encompassing is this album going to be? How far back in your uh, your catalog, do these songs go? Um, it's so funny you ask that because you know talking with Robbie and Nipe about this album and, and picking songs to, to to pull from or, or picking shows to pull from and songs to use. Uh, you know, a couple of the songs, not a lot, are, are like eight years old. You know, nine mm-hmm. years old, um, and uh, some of them are are being written right now. Um, Amazing. So it's going to span. Uh, everything um it won't have a too many from book musicals like like from the full-length shows that i've mm-hmm. have done there, there'll be a few in there just because you know why not we can so let's do it yeah um but yeah you know there's um a song i wrote nine years ago about or eight years ago i forget how long about a dinosaur <laughs> and it was oh, hilarious oh, i love that song yeah that song caused controversy afterwards because people were trying to interpret all the different meetings of it, which was hilarious. And I, I not hilarious. It was cool. And I told Nipe what I think the song's about. And he's like taken some musical ideas from it that bring out those ideas even more. Oh, so cool. like, so, so that song is, is an older one that is going to be on the album. And then there are some newer songs, some from this new show I've been working on that, um, have never been heard before ever by anyone. And what's so extra exciting about this album, first of all, is that all the money that's raised goes towards artists. It goes yeah. towards the performers. Every singer gets paid, you know, every every musician, uh, arranger, studio engineer. It's supporting artists doing what they love to do. So I get to collaborate with some amazing Broadway stars and then I, who are going to sing on this album. And then I also get to have... Um, uh, collaborators who you haven't heard of yet who are going to be on it uh, yeah. and people who we've worked together on stuff for years they're also going to be on the album which is really exciting um, so and that's what I'm most excited about is honestly getting to work with such an awesome group of, of performers on this thing so um, with all these exciting projects that you've got going on uh, what song do you have to share with us right now um, all right, so I'm going <laughs> to share a song from uh, this new show I've been been working on that I just finished a, a rough first draft of a month ago. It's called Powerline Road. And, Shout out. Uh, yes, uh, if you, in case you couldn't tell, it takes place in South Florida. Um, I had a lovely casual 
uh, read sync through of the show with some Lovewell friends of ours, like Angela Miller and Lou Catler and Amber Torres and shout JJ Parkey. Um, uh, who, who have I not mentioned? Jared Korak was Jason Pomerantz, shout out, shout out. uh, Alana Miller. I, I, I feel out. bad leaving anyone out. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, they just came over to listen to it, which is really helpful, but basically Powerline road is, uh, four short stories, uh, each broken up into three parts. So you have four beginnings, four middles, and four ends. And it's kind of a dark, noir-esque musical about these four people in the, over the course of 24 hours um, in South Florida. Uh, and one of them is a, a woman named Karen. Karen is a very ridiculous, over-the-top human being who uh, spends her days uh, working at a Wendy's, which is awesome, and then mean-tweeting mean strangers. She is a uh, internet bully. Uh, and in Love part it. one of Karen's story, she meets this guy named Florida Famous who makes a deal with her that they can break into one of the warehouses with all the hard drives that have um, memory stores, like data for Twitter mm -hmm. data. Um, and this is a real thing, by the way. <laughs> um, just so you know, everything you've ever done on social media is stored in a building somewhere. <laughs> um, public and permanent, yes. Public and permanent. Anyway, so in part two is when Karen and Florida Famous break into one of the, the warehouses and she's left alone in a server farm, which is with all these hard drives everywhere. And if you've never seen a picture of a server farm, it's like a, a digital rainforest. It's just like <laughs> little buttons and colored lights everywhere. And as you can tell, Karen is not the nicest person and she's very uh, alone. And, you know, she's left alone to kind of um, deep, like, deprogram these hard drives mm. and the first time she clicks on one of the hard drives it lights up and she's told 10,000 people's uh each hard drive holds about 10,000 people's data mm. and to her it's like a spiritual experience <laughs> and uh so this is a song called hello world which is when she meets her new friends in these hard drives all right, let's take a listen to hello world from powerline road michael's new synth tastic musical <laughs> I see you there staring back at me a realm of possibilities hello world hello world all right, 122, I'm done. Plug in the code and move on to the next hard drive. Hello, new friends that I barely know. I love the way you shine and glow. Hello, world. Say I'm here. Hello, 
just did undo it. Okay, I think we're good. Be careful, 122. My whole life long No one knew my name But nothing's gonna be the same When the world Says hello Say hello Fantastic. All right. Is there anything else before we wrap up that you would like to plug? Are there any dates that you do know that you'd like to share? Or um, do we know when this this Kickstarter is going to go online so we can um, direct people towards it? Sure. The Kickstarter should go um, live in the next few days. Okay. Uh, and then it'll be up for uh, 30 days. I, I think uh, we'll, we're finalizing uh, a couple little things about it. Um, if you go and if you donate, there's a lot of perks that come with it. Um, you know, you get a free, uh, or you, you, you get a, a digital copy of the album or you get a physical copy of the album. Uh, you know, if you donate, I, I forget what the number is, not, not an extreme number, but you know, a, a certain number that you, you will get a personalized jingle written by me and recorded by me. Amazing. Um, you know, the, some, some of the perks include, you know, being allowed to be in the studio when we record certain things, uh, PDF packets of sheet music. So there's lots of stuff you can, you is there, can is there an option where you, um, you, you pay and then you come visit me in Florida? Is that one of the options? Yes, it is. Okay, uh, it, sure. it, it is a bonus package and, uh, I, I hope that it gets, uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that people pick it. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. Um, where can we go to, uh, hear more of your stuff? You can go uh, online. You can go to the YouTube. You can also uh, and and just plug in my name in musical theater, and you'll see tons of videos come up um, from different concerts. You can also go to my website, which is www.michaelfinkmusic.com. Mm, um, good website name. Yeah, uh, I wish I could have michaelfink.com, but a college professor in Ransom Canyon, Texas, Ugh. won't allow it. Um, but that's okay. He's a nice guy, and he got to it first. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't judge him. But yeah, you you can um, you yeah you can go to uh, my website and find out more information there. And then honestly, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be rolling out a lot more details uh, about the release concert, which we're going to have when the album's recorded. Uh, also have uh, more details about another show that might happen uh, this summer as well, possibly near uh, Fort Lauderdale, which Amazing. is exciting that uh, i can't wait to share with people when that happens so so just stay tuned and and um dates times events will will will, will come to light which is really well, I, uh, exciting i know i'm not alone when i say i am so so excited to see how busy you are and i can't wait to see how these different projects shake out um we always end our spotlight interviews with the same question and that is what is the singular the one piece of art that our listeners should check out right now, whether it's a song that you're into right now, a TV show, a movie, a play or a musical, what's, what's the one thing, maybe a podcast that our listeners should check out. First of all, I know the Oscars are over and it didn't win anything, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch. Can you ever forgive me? Ooh, that's a, the movie with Melissa McCarthy and Richard Grant. Um, 
about this about the true story of Lee Israel pretending to be all these famous writers, uh, famous dead writers. Um, and that movie taught me so much about writing uh, for character driven stories, but also for female characters. And so for uh, any, uh, any male artists out there who want to write and write songs and have characters that are that are women, and to represent them well, that's just a movie where I thought, Oh, I have so much to learn. Um, so can you ever forgive me is on the list. Um, I also just think everyone needs to listen to the new Ariana Grande album. Yeah, really. I, I you, love it. Oh my God. I, it's so good. Uh, uh, in terms of music that that's, that's one you absolutely should, um, listen to. And in terms of theater, I'm do okay. I'm just going on, aren't I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it comes to theater, I think uh, everyone should listen to Hades Town because okay. Hades Town was a folk album that was then adapted into uh, over the course of many years into a musical that happened at New York Theater Workshop, and it's going to open on Broadway, I think next month. And Anais Mitchell's album for Hades Town is stunning. It is so good. And even though it, it was uh, recorded a while back, you know, years ago, this production is going to open soon. And okay. I, 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 I'm the worst person to say, oh, it's going to be a hit. Oh, it's going to be a flop. I also kind of <laughs> don't care. <laughs> I, I, I just don't care because it's so um, it's so good. And that cast is so good. So listen to Anais Mitchell's Hades Town. And if they re-record it with, um, uh, with, this, with the Broadway cast uh, led by... Uh, uh, Evan Noblezada, who played Kim in Miss Saigon, um, listen to it. It's just, it's, it's solid music and it's a solid story. Um, that sounds I really love cool. It. Well, you know, I know you got your, your big wig theater up in New York, but you know, the Hamilton came down to South Florida a couple of months oh, ago. Oh, the Hamilton. And I saw it and it is, it is very, very good. So you, you saw know, the Hamiltons. We get, and... we get the theater down here. Don't you worry. You guess the theater down here, and I, I want to tell uh, Lovewell peoples across the world that I, who have probably heard of this show called "Be More Chill," mm. uh, and I hope people fly up to see it because if there's a story about a show that's kind of breaking all the rules as to how a show got to Broadway or in commercial theater land in New York with the fancy bigwig theater, you said bigwig, and it made me think of this. <laughs> uh, Be more chill is the show I'm rooting for because. Uh, it, it basically says to all the fancy bigwig people who control commercial theater, we don't need you. <laughs> you know, we, we have the power of young people and young artists to propel us into this space. And so I hope all the young artists who love that show um, make it their way up here to uh, to see it. Well, it's, 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 it's exciting. It's funny you bring that up because some of our Lovewell lights at the Sagemont School have already been in a production of it. They did it this fall at um, Elizabeth Gerard's school. And, That's so uh, wild. I didn't get to go see it, but I heard such wonderful things about it. And it does seem like such a fantastic show. It, 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 I saw it off Broadway and it, it was, it was really cool and really weird. Um, which is why I, I, I think it's great, <laughs> but I, I just, I, I love the fact, um, you said big wig and now I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a soapbox. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a soapbox right now. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a show that, you know, 
like I said, young people brought yeah. to the stage. And I, I want the young people who brought it to um, to commercial theater land to reap the benefits of that and find yeah. a way to see it. And, and you know, and um, I, I, I just, I love it when a, when a work of art can kind of challenge a system. And uh, that show challenges the system because of a lot of the people who are listening to this. And that's cool. I love it. It's the perfect note to end on. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. I, I really enjoyed our conversation today. I hope that you enjoyed it as well. And thank you for uh, having me. I know we're all super excited to support whatever comes down the pipeline for you. And um, looking forward to the summer ahead. Me too. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us for tonight's episode of Listen Well, a Lovewell podcast. Special thanks again to Michael for joining us at Lovewell HQ for our great conversation. Pretty wild hearing about Town all the way back in March and knowing what it would go on to do. If you haven't already, please make sure you support Michael's album on Kickstarter. The link is in our show description. You can search Michael Fink on Kickstarter. You can go to Facebook to do this. Please support this album. Be sure to subscribe, and we will save your seat for next time. Until then, this is Tyler Grimes reminding you to listen well, create well, love well. Good night. (laughs) 